0: Unfiltered by Jade. Jade. Welcome to the Unfiltered by Jade, where we educate, empower, and entertain. Feel free to like, share, subscribe, download, donate, and make everybody know. Go Beats by RB Records. Shopping assistance, your style, your budget. Our services include online and local shopping for individuals and businesses, personal shopping, purchasing of company and office supplies, importing and exporting small packages across Jamaica and worldwide, and helping you find unique gifts and items for all events and occasions. Contact us at 876-919-5195 or shoppingassistance2015 at gmail.com. Shopping Assistance, your style, your budget. Welcome back to Unfiltered by Jade. Today we have Ira hayes and he is the director of Center for Wellness, and he can give us some more information on that as we go along. Hi, Ira. Hi, Jade. How are
1: you? Thanks so much for having me.
0: I am good. And how are you?
1: Oh, I'm doing very well. Thank you.
0: Nice. So you're the director for Center for Wellness. So you can can you give us a little bit about that? What do you do?
1: Yes, so I am director of Center for Wellness, which is a PHP and IOP program in Monroe, New Jersey, and we service mental health needs throughout New Jersey for adolescents and adults. Um, I also am a private practice owner and I uh, create content uh, marketing material for other small practices like my own. And I just try to overall keep busy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Tries to keep busy. Awesome. Today we're going to be speaking about school phobia. This is an interesting topic because there are many persons who are, I'm going to say quote-unquote, suffering from school phobia without even knowing that this is what they have. So I want you, first of all, to tell us what is school phobia and how is it different from typical school-related anxiety?
1: Right. Yeah. So uh, a lot of times um, when I'm talking about school phobia, people kind of use the language school refusal, school avoidance, and school phobia interchangeably. And I kind of um, make the argument that they're similar in the idea that the kid's not attending school, but a little bit different in the sense that the etiology of the problem is a little different and then the treatment is a little different. And I think where school phobia differs from just general school anxiety is that level of anxiety. Um, Typically, when we talk about anxiety, we think of it negatively, but in most cases, it could also have a positive impact. So, for example, if kids are slightly anxious about a test, it might motivate them to study, or they're slightly anxious about a a social event, they might prepare ahead of time. Where a school phobic kid actually has that initiation of like the limbic response or that fight or flight panic attack mode. So they are sometimes paralyzed or they react in a way that's either aggressive or, you know, running away from that anxiety. So that's typically when we're talking about school phobia, We're talking about kids that are entering that limbic response in the presence of being
0: asked to attend school. Okay, okay. What are some common underlying causes or triggers of school phobia?
1: Yeah, so the cause of school phobia, pretty interesting, because it could be really anything that creates a a response like that to school. Typically, I try to categorize into either their performance-based anxiety or social-based anxiety, but it could be many different things. Um, It could have, like, some earlier concerns related to a specific learning disability or um, any kind of thing that can trigger uh, a phobic response to school.
0: Question, Could it be also, would you consider someone, someone that's been bullied and don't want to go to school, would you consider that they have a school phobia or just school related anxiety because of the bullying? Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, it depends to, you know, is the bullying kind of central and located at school and are they only having that response to school? So a lot of kids who are bullied at school tend to become school phobic in the sense that they have that limbic response, not just to being bullied, but to the whole in school environment. But if that fear goes beyond school and they start Isolating at home and refusing to leave the home due to bullying because they're feeling unsafe at the mall or at the shopping center or something like that They might fall more into the agoraphobia realm But for the most part oh. if they're having that anxiety about going to school specifically, then we might call it school phobia. Yes
0: Okay, how is a phobia typically diagnosed?
1: Well school phobia interesting. It's not in the DSM So when someone actually really? clinically gets diagnosed um They will probably have a panic disorder diagnosis from a counselor or school psychologist or a psychiatrist if they're seeing one. Um, And then school phobia is a a type of um, stressor that causes that panic. Um, So school phobia is kind of a more general term that we use to describe anybody who's having a phobic response to to school, Um, but you won't find that in the DSM. So someone wouldn't necessarily be diagnosed um, with school phobia unless they're the professionals that are working with them are pretty pretty skilled in in observing it.
0: Mm, and don't mix it up because that can easily be mixed up sometimes. It can. can. school-related anxiety.
1: Yeah, when I'm doing a lot of trainings with um, the school-based anxiety, like for example, a lot of kids will have attachment concerns and they struggle, especially in the younger ages, they'll struggle with disattaching from a parent. So they're not actually having a limbic response to going to school, but they're having that response to kind of separating from that parent or loved one so sometimes it could be a little bit tricky i do a lot of training throughout the state of new jersey and i've kind of touched in other states um, but in those trainings we kind of go through like uh basically how to case formulate a kid who we think might be school phobia it can be time consuming but at the same time very very worthwhile because if you
0: you yeah. catch
1: it early you can reduce the amount of work necessary to help that kid significantly
0: okay okay Does school phobia manifest differently in younger children compared to adolescents?
1: I see sometimes, you know, it's interesting because most kids who have school phobia, again, enter that like fight or flight mode. So it can present in a lot of different ways. It can present with a kid shutting down. But most frequently I get called about kids who, even from kindergarten all the way up to high school, that have a very similar response. They're The parent will go in to wake them up and give them a prompt and then walk out of the room and give them another prompt and maybe even shake them awake and say it's time to go to school. And then um, most frequently, the kid will either try to run or hide away from school or they get very aggressive with that parent. Maybe they curse or yell at them or maybe even physically confront them. And it's often misunderstood as being refusal, but it is part of that fight or flight response. Um, And I see that in kids as young as five and six and as old as 17, 18 years old. I think what's different about it is how families and schools respond. And with the younger kids in elementary school, parents and teachers and school personnel often try to like pull that kid in and maybe even physically. And by the time they're, you know, 16, 17, 18-year-olds, the the kids are too big to do that. So it manifests a little bit right. differently. Yeah.
0: I want you to differentiate between genuine anxiety and school avoidance for other reasons.
1: Um it can be tough to kind of differentiate between, you know, just, you know, anxiety about your normal day-to-day living um and what is becoming like a school phobic response generally speaking i like to think of you know mental health in general but certainly our anxiety on a continuum you know one being you know very calm and 10 being in panic mode and if a kid spends a lot of time in that eight nine or ten range for a significant amount of time in the presence of just going to school that is definitely school phobia but if a kid has you know Anxiety around, you know, that three, four, five, even six, seven, and eight sometimes can be a healthy anxiety. You know, generally speaking, as a parent myself, I don't try to reduce my child's anxiety too much because a life without anxiety is (laughs) just not possible. So I don't want to set up that expectation. But again, if it gets to the point where they're always at the upper end of that continuum in the presence of school, that's that's more problematic school-phobic responses.
0: I've never really heard that before in terms of you know, with life, in life, there's always some sort of anxiety. If you're trying not to take that that's away from them, really.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I practice something called exposure response prevention, which is an evidence-based treatment for OCD. And a lot of the treatment that I use for school phobia is kind of grounded in exposure work, kind of helping kids to get used to the anxiety rather than getting rid of the anxiety completely. Because I think part of the problem that we have overall right now is that we struggle with the idea that some anxiety is good you know, like if we're preparing for a holiday with family, we get anxious about it and it helps us kind of prepare. That would maybe be a positive stress or anxiety. Um, So not all anxiety is necessarily terrible and to live without it would be nearly impossible. Um, So I never like to set that kids up for that. I always kind of let them know that the work that they're going to experience in treatment with me might be difficult, but that I, I believe that they're capable of doing it. You know,
0: What strategies can school implement to create a more supportive environment for affected students?
1: One of the things they could do is bring in professionals like myself to do trainings with the staff. Um, I think that's really helpful. I think they can coordinate with some other programming, Um, but if they want to create programming themselves, they could probably, one of the things I do when I consult with school districts is I set up programming so that before school starts, like maybe two, three weeks ago, um, they would have had some work with the kids where they start doing some exposure work themselves before school even starts. So instead of waiting to identify the kids who are struggling, Um, If we have a general idea of some kids that might be struggling, we might do some exposures before school even starts, like have them come drive with a parent to school, touch the front door and go home. And if they do that for a day or two, um, maybe set up with a therapist or a school counselor or an administrator for a day or two before school for a meeting so that they get used to coming into the building and it doesn't become such a, a limbic response for them, that they kind of have some time to settle at the building before it gets crowded with other kids. And I think, One of the things I've had the most success with is um, inevitably what happens with school-phobic kids is um, counselors will work with them now in September and October and do really great, make really good progress by like the holiday break for December. Um, And then kids will struggle because they'll get out of that routine for a week or two and anxiety will start to build while they're away, the routine changes. So schools can set up like a program before and after breaks to kind of help increase the likelihood that students will return on that day, um, that break ends. Um, And I've had pretty good success to nine in the 90 to 95% success rate with uh, working with districts and doing that. Yeah. Yeah. It's been really helpful.
0: I mean, it's a lot of work initially.
1: It is. And that's, that's the
0: success of it. The success of it is, is greatly appreciated though.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's, what's really interesting is I think it allows us or it demands for us to kind of take a different look at the way we do mental health treatment. I come Mm -hmm. from, I come from a a background of partial care, you know, partial hospitalization care, where we do intense treatment for a short amount of time. And sometimes with the school phobic kid, that's really helpful. We might work really intensely with them for two weeks, uh, the beginning of their freshman year, and then they don't need as much work for the next four years. And it's hard for us to conceptualize that, I think, because we think of therapy as this once a week talk time with a therapist. We don't think of it as like this really intense two week, you know, training and exposure planning to prevent any problems for, you know, two to four years. Um, so it's it it's it's kind of like us trying to figure out and rework the way we see the health treatment.
0: Sounds good. What therapeutic inventions or interventions are available for treating school phobia?
1: Yeah, so I think, you know, my work with school phobia differs with my work with um, OCD clients in the sense that in school phobic kids, I, I do still do some skills training. So the same skills training we might do for any anxiety, you know, breath work, mindfulness training. Um, All the dialectical behavioral therapy skills, um, we could be teaching those in schools pretty easily, and I've done that in the past in several school districts with some success. Um, We could obviously be doing some cognitive behavioral therapy with kids, helping them challenge some of the cognitions around, you know, the angst of coming to school. Um, Kids are great at catastrophizing, so that if they have one negative social event at school, they may catastrophize that they're going to have 500 of these same events. So I think that can be really helpful but the exposure work in my experience is the thing that really challenges people to overcome fears you know so like if if someone's afraid of flying we could talk about you know how unlikely it is to have a problem on that flight but getting on the flight and flying is going to be the one thing that, that really cures them um, the most. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Um,
1: yeah, it's interesting. But, you know, I think there's a lot of stuff. And if people are interested, they can contact me. There's a lot of skills training available. DBT and CBT skills can be can work great. Relaxation skills, breath work can be great. Um, and sometimes we can combine that with exposure work to really get maximum results. The reason that differs from like your traditional OCD therapy is a lot of times now, with OCD therapy, that they won't teach skills as much because they don't want to make things too comfortable in exposures. But with my mm. experience with school phobia, um, skills training and exposure work together is, is probably the most beneficial.
0: So it's good. What well, can parents help their children develop effective coping mechanisms?
1: So I think parents can do the skills training at home with kids, especially young kids. You can make a daily practice of mindfulness. You can make gratitude journals. You can talk about any problems at school, having open communication is really great. I think one of the things that I try to get families to realize is that rewarding school attendance isn't with a school phobic kid is not always the best thing, but rewarding skill usage can be really helpful. So a lot of times, instead of rewarding Mm -hmm. a kid to go to school three days, rewarding them for using skills to manage stress or rewarding them for doing the exposure work can be more helpful. Um, Because some kids, it's often... Misunderstood, but some kids will be able to kind of white knuckle it through, kind of three days of school to earn a really big reward. But if they never come out of that um, fight or flight mode or that limbic response while they're at school, it actually reinforces the opposite. It basically tells them, mm. you know, school is scary, don't go. So they'll get that reward and then they, they'll have a really hard time getting to school after that without a high, without, without a big motivator. And we've got to constantly be remotivating to uh, get them to be attending. And then the other thing that I would probably coach parents to do, and I know this is hard, I have a, a seven and a nine-year-old, so I always find it difficult myself, but you know, not fostering too much comfort and allowing some discomfort to still happen in their day-to-day life. So I'll give you an example. Um, both my sons are athletes, and they go walk out to the field with their gear. And I often see a lot of parents carrying their children's gear so that it's not uncomfortable for them. And I often talk to my kids about how I think it's important that if they're athletes, they carry and take care of their own gear. So just that, you know, after a tired, long game, you know, carrying a bag back to the car, it might sound like not a lot of discomfort, but by acknowledging that it might be uncomfortable and that they can be capable of doing it, I think it's really helpful across the board. It generalizes to every aspect of their life.
0: And it's also setting them up because when you grow older and you're an athlete, Weirdo persons are not carrying your gear for you. Yeah, it's not you carry your own gear.
1: Yeah, not not until you really, really made it, then maybe.
0: Right, right, too, right. So you don't have your parents walking around with your gears. Right. So I think that's a great example for them.
1: Yeah, I think it's a good example for for parents to, to start thinking about like how what are we doing to make them more comfortable, and is that it, it is comfort really what our job is? Is our job to make our children comfortable, mm. or is our job to prepare them for life? And help them gain the skills they need to be successful. I think yeah. it more the second than making them comfortable. Sometimes comfort isn't yeah. isn't the best.
0: True. Very true. What role does collaboration between parents, school personnel, and mental health professionals play in addressing this?
1: I think collaboration is key. And that's why um, in my role now at Center for Wellness and in my private practice, we provide, you know, the education to all the schools in New Jersey for free. So anybody that's in New Jersey can get this for free. If anyone else needed it, I'm sure we could figure something out. Um, but we we believe in collaborating very much with parents, with the schools, um, and the mental health professionals all have to be on the same page. Because I can't tell you how many times parents, you know, like the, the example I gave before where they go to wake up a child and, and the child is aggressive, they're confused by it. Kid gets really anxious and panics and then you know acts out for 30 or 40 minutes and the parent then calls the school or calls myself and says, oh, my child's so manipulative. They were just you know, throwing things around the house and now they took a nap. And we have a role as mental health professionals and as school personnel to kind of educate the families and the schools to let them know that that's actually the natural cycle of a panic attack, right? Like when we panic, we generally have this high level of anxiety and energy. And then when the stimulus is gone, when we tell them they don't have to go to school anymore, it's pretty common for that anxiety to drop pretty quickly. I think in terms of education and in terms of um, partnering together, the partnership has to be strong to really help these kids.
0: What should be done if a child's school phobia persists or worsens despite intervention?
1: Yeah, so I think this is an interesting question because I, generally speaking, most of the kids that I do exposure work with, so assuming they can, you know, they consent to doing exposure work because we have to get consent to do exposure work. If not, it's really like... you know, exposure work without consent is just torture, right? If someone's scared of dogs and we just bring them into a room with a dog, that's
0: oh, yeah. if it's uh-huh. against
1: their will, yeah. <laughs> that's not helpful and not therapeutic whatsoever. They have to be consenting. Right. Generally speaking, that works a good percentage of the time, especially if we take things slow. If it doesn't, we can look to programs in the community. Like the, the program that I work for, Center for Wellness, is a partial hospitalization program um, or an intensive outpatient program. Most places, not just New Jersey, have some form of community mental health center or programming like that where kids can go to learn additional skills and get more treatment. I think one of the things that uh pandemic actually helped with in some ways is the idea that now even a school personnel can reach out to a child without that child being there. So we have this mm-hmm. tool of like, you know, Zoom meetings and and Google Meets that we can we can intervene in a different way that we didn't do 5 or 10 years ago when I first started doing this you know, if you wanted to see a kid and they weren't coming to school, we had to go to their house. But now we can kind of even start the exposure plan at home with the kid via Zoom. Um, and I think people are disheartened because sometimes you have to start the exposure plan really small. There's some kids that have a phobic response to just writing the word school on a piece of paper. Um, but ge- Yeah. Generally speaking, I'll meet them where they're at. And if we can, and we can work our way through, we're okay. If that doesn't work, I would look at a partial hospitalization program or IOP. And all that means is they attend for a few days or a few weeks or maybe up to a month or two. They attend a program where they're in skills groups for the most part and they have individual therapy and medication management if it's necessary.
0: Are there community or school-based programs that can provide additional support?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, just like I said, the the partial hospitalization and IOP programs in the community, if you have mental health providers in the community that are um, trained in exposure response prevention or even DBT and CBT, they might be helpful. School-based programs, I've worked with a lot of schools in New Jersey. Um, I've probably done a presentation on school phobia like 30 to 40 times over the last year and a half or so. Um, so I think there's a lot of practitioners out there that are willing to help I think the school-based programs you know a lot of programming that is there now can be helpful but I think in general if we want to address this issue and that's part of the reason why you know I love platforms like this and appreciate it is that I can get the word out there like there is some other things that we could do like setting up these school-based programming where we meeting the kids doing ERP before school starts and around the breaks that's not something that it's hard for a school-based clinician to do if they have a little bit of direction. If people need direction. I'm more than happy to uh, participate in, in helping them point in the right direction.
0: Sounds good, Aria. Where is it that we can find you and get some more information about what you do and if it is that um, parents need help or school needs help um, in terms of helping the kids? with the school phobia center for wellness
1: can be a great resource so that is a uh, center for wellness nj.com we are a new jersey-based program so they could check us out at center and then at my private practice is hayes h-a-y-s health and wellness.com and people can reach me there or they can email me at i h-a-y-s at centerforwellnessnj.com. Any one of those ways they can get a hold of me. Pretty active on LinkedIn, so if people wanted to check me out on LinkedIn, again, it's Ira, I R A, last name Hayes, H A Y S.
0: Awesome, sounds good. Thank you so much, Ira, for this. To be honest, I've really heard a lot of people talking about it, so that's good that this came up, and especially in this time. Yeah, no, I, I really
1: appreciate you getting me on because timing is, is perfect now. Kids are gonna start to struggle. And uh, hopefully we can help them out as soon as we can.
0: Yeah, we want to do that. We want to do that. So thank you so much, Erin, for this. And thank you to our listeners for listening to The Unfiltered by Jade. And we'll be back next week, Tuesday. Thank you. You can also purchase my book, Things Left Unsaid Before I Do, Diary of Gloria Gold. This is on Amazon and the link will be in the description below. Thank you.